Hello, my name is Yul. I'm here for episode two of our Kendo Enlightened Discourse Talks, or KED Talks. Uh, I'm here today with Drs. Blake and Alex Bennett. Uh, Blake is a lecturer at the Bachelor of Sports, Health, and Physical Education degree in the School of Curriculum and Pedagogy at the University of Auckland. Uh, he has a PhD in sports coaching with a focus on, uh, on pedagogies in, in rugby coaches in New Zealand and Japanese secondary school. And his current research uh, is on the online pedagogies in, uh, in sports coaching. He's a, been a coach and a volunteer for over 20 years uh, and uh, also coach of the New Zealand men's kendo team. I'm also here with uh, Dr. Alex Bennett, uh, who is a professor at the Kansai University in Osaka. Uh, among his many accomplishments are, are like uh, kendo culture in the sword and his most recent one, uh, Bushido Explained. So we're here to sort of just talk a, a little bit about uh, whatever comes to mind, but ostensibly we're, we're here to talk about... My book? <laughs> <laughs> we could talk about the book. <laughs> um, but ostensibly we're here to talk about sort of the, the differences in, in teaching styles between uh, in, in Japan and, and uh, the outside and the rest of the world. So um, what do you guys think is the some of the biggest differences between... Uh, the way kendo is taught uh, in Japan and the way it's taught uh, outside Japan? Uh, yeah, it's a really, thanks, Yulen. It's a really good question. Uh, and it, it's so big and broad in many ways because there's, you know, it's not just uh, a comparison between Japan and the rest of the world. Each of the different countries, uh, federations and dojo within there, I imagine, have their own unique sort of... Uh, perspectives on things, how they're supposed to be done, how they're supposed so, to be delivered. But I mean, if this, if this were like a spectrum, right, with, uh, we'll say, Japan on this end and, say, the most off out there country there, like, would you say, like, it's a, they're pretty evenly distributed on the spectrum or is it like Japan and then the rest of the world over, over here? I, I think, yeah, and it's probably a good entry point to, to sort of explore. I think given the nature of what we do, with with kendo and in, in in its origins, where it comes from, where it you know sort of uh, developed and, and how we all became exposed to it, you know, a lot of the pedagogy or the way we instruct uh, and the values that we champion in those sorts of environments are quite closely linked, at least in my observation, to the way that um, things tend to be done in Japan. Right? Um, again, sort of going on your your continuum uh, example. If you were looking at teach or teaching or coaching uh, really, really sort of simply, you could say the coach-led approaches and the athlete-led approaches. So to put that in a, in a little bit more kendo-specific uh, terminology, I guess you've got you know, sen what sensei says goes. We do everything that sensei or senpai says. And then your students and the members just sort of um, uh, follow the lead. Whereas opposite to that would be the students and leaders start to make their own decisions about what we're going to focus on today or, you know, what, what our values are or, you know, how we do kirikashi or whatever that case may be, right? So you've got this, the coach leading the way, the sensei leading the way, or the athletes making the decision. So if we were to look at coaching like that, I tend to think, in my observations, is that in the kendo world, we, we, we tend to see that coach-led, that sensei-led uh, sort of thing. And I don't think that that varies across uh, countries at the, at the moment, especially in, in Kindle context. 
you've got to look at also at the, uh, the context as well. And first of all, if you're going to compare Japan with the rest of the world, um, apart from a few countries that come to mind, like Korea and uh, um, you know, a few other uh, countries in Europe, perhaps, um, the, the makeup of, of the people who practice kendo is completely different. So in Japan, you've got a very large population which enables children to practice with children, uh, junior high school kids to practice with junior high school kids, high school kids from high school, uh, high school clubs, uh, university students at the collegiate level, um, and then the shakaijin or the, the, um, uh, the workforce. You also have who are essentially professionals, the police, um, and, and so on and so forth. So you've got this all of these different groups that are generally, often they will have completely, a completely different focus. So what the kids will be doing and what the university students are doing and what the police are doing is gonna be different because their, their motivations, their objectives are different. Whereas generally speaking, uh, any dojo or any club that you're going to visit outside of Japan, it's gonna be a mixture of everybody. So you're going to have kids, uh, you're going to have teenagers, uh, you're going to have men, women of all ages, of all levels, practicing together. And so with that point alone, uh, you know, the, obviously the, the, the way in which kendo is going to be taught is going to be, is going to be different. Um, quite often outside of Japan, you've got to keep everybody happy somehow. Otherwise, people are not going to do kendo because it's just so abstract, you know, and so different to uh, mainstream sports, whatever they might be, or even mainstream martial arts, whatever they might be. The other uh, thing, sort of touch on what Blake was talking about, about the teaching styles, whether it's coach-led or athlete-led, I can say that in Japan recently, it's kind of changing. Um, but it's a lot slower to change because kendo, um, one of its wonderful characteristics is there is no retirement. Okay, you do kendo until you drop dead in the dojo. And, you know... Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dream. It's not like it already. Um, <laughs> in your 60s and your 70s and your 80s, and you, it's something you continue throughout your life, and that means it's not just looking on the outside in, these older people, older senseis or senpais are actually in. And so it's, it's very hard for, uh, for a, a martial art or an art or a discipline like kendo to bring in the latest uh, innovations and perhaps coaching techniques or sports science um, because basically uh, the old guard is always there and you know, um, they can be quite stubborn. What worked for us should work for you, you young whippersnappers, right? And up until now, most of the kendo instruction outside of Japan uh, has been led by Japanese people or led by people who have been led by Japanese people. And so you have... Uh, this kind of framework that is very Japan-centric. Apart from, you know, there are differences, like you'd have a, a kind of more of a Korean model, which has made a lot of inroads overseas and, and so forth. But that is also changing now. Uh, I think it's not 
a massive change yet, but there are a growing number of uh, homegrown kendo coaches who are really adapting uh, certain methodologies in kendo to suit their, their, co their, their cultural uh, setting. And to give you an example, uh, every year I get um, invited to go to Croatia, uh, the Iadera Gashku, which we have in um, uh, June or, or July every year. And I've been going there for a few years now and I was absolutely gobsmacked the first year that I went. There was about 120 people there. Um, there wasn't a single Japanese instructor at all. Um, I was the instructor and I also had a number of uh, people in, uh, helping me instruct. They're all homegrown Italian or Brits or um, you know Europeans. No Japanese senses. The first time I've ever been to <laughs> a kendo training camp that hasn't been led by a Japanese person. So things are certainly changing, and especially in Europe, I think is leading the way in that respect. Um, although, uh, you know, that's been, you can see that around the place more now than ever before. So I think things are starting to change. Do you think that, the, I guess, the, the, the youth or the youthfulness of, of the sensei makes a bigger difference than uh, foreigner versus non, or the, the Japanese versus non-Japanese that way? What do you think, Blake? I feel that the point that, that you made, Alex, before about the, the old guard, um, mindful of, of ageist terminology there, uh, <laughs> yeah, we work in universities, we have to be careful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you know, that, that's a really, it's a really good point, and it's absolutely true. I don't think anyone would, um, you know, we, could, we could all look at our own, uh, you know, national context and see something like that. But because of, you know, the nature of that being, uh, as it is, there's that constant evolution, you know what I mean? And so that old guard is constantly sort of evolving and, you know, new perspectives become the old guard, if that makes sense, right? And so especially, uh, you know, Alex's observations in, in places like Croatia and other parts of Europe, there's enough of a history, uh, a history in those countries that they can start to stand on on. On their own, own two feet, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. It's it's an evolution of perspectives that was established in a, a you know um, from a relationship with a Japanese sensei or a club or something like that. But it's evolved to now to be at a point where okay, let's let's bring in some stuff that that is a little bit more culturally relevant to the members that we're teaching or the people that are leading us into the future. Mindful too that what we're doing is a very traditional Japanese uh, art or, or, you know, um, So you activity. mentioned something kind of interesting, which is uh, sort of the old, the, 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 the old guard, you know, we, we tend to think of it as a hidebound sort of never changing thing, but, you know, as, as new people age into the old guard and, and the old guard dies off, uh, it does change. I mean, you guys have been doing kendo for 20, 30 years now. I mean, how has the old guard changed in those in those 20 years which old guard are you talking about because the old guard in japan hasn't changed at all <laughs> <laughs> they perpetuate the same old same old mate although um those, those entry into the uh, the hachidan sort of club predicated a bit on your uh, ability to, to mimic the uh, the old guard thinking uh 
Well, that's, I, I can tell you that if I ever get initiated into the Hachidama Club. <laughs> um, but certainly uh, there is a game that you have to play. Not, I don't mean politics, but I mean the way that you do your kendo. And um, you've got to fit the mould. Um, you've got to be able to, you know, perform the way that they would expect you to perform to become something like Hachidam. But uh, just leaving that aside, um, one thing I can say, one of the biggest changes I've noticed in the time that I've lived in Japan, and, you know, I've been, I first came here in 1987 and I started kendo at high school. Uh, and I can tell you right now, and it's not supposed to be an old war story or anything like that, but the kind of stuff that we did at high school level kendo, the kind of beatings that we did every day, um, you know, to the extent that, it, it, you know, it was when I think, thinking back on it now, I thought of it as sadistic at, at the time, but I, I think it's even more sadistic now. Um, when, I, when I think back on the kind of things that we, we had to do and the kind of treatment that we received. Oh, it's sadistic but acceptable, and, and nowadays it's just plain sadistic and, and no longer... It's not acceptable at all. In fact, uh, there's been a number of reasons why this has changed. I think that the nature of young people in Japan has changed. Um, I noticed this at university, but um, uh, the students these days are very Western in their approach sometimes. They don't, they, they, they will do the hard yards of the, you know, without bitching and moaning about it. But these days more than ever, um, you have to motivate them in a different way. You have to give them a reason why uh, something doing it this way is going to be beneficial for them. Um, it's harder in Japan to try and get students to lead themselves and use initiative and training like Blake's talking about athlete-led uh, athlete, uh, sort of training sessions. If you were to sort of like let students do that, they would be floundering over here for a while, okay? Um, it's because they've never really been thought, uh, taught to think like that. That's, that's the issue. Uh, you know, the, the Japanese school system is very much about uh, teaching kids to toe the line. But these days I notice that the Japanese students are very similar to the Western students I come into contact with. They, they need to know a reason why they should be doing something. And once they're happy with that, then they'll, they'll go ahead and do it. Um, there's, you know, the old days of beating the crap out of somebody and saying, well, you just got to grin and bear it and eventually you'll get it type approach, which is pretty much where I came from, um, just doesn't work here anymore. In fact, it's, it's not considered socially acceptable anymore. That kind of hazing that used to be commonplace is getting rarer and rarer. And um, I mean, part of the reason is, is society has changed. It's evolved. A uh, new generation of kids have been brought up in, a, in an era, you know, of the, of the digital native, essentially. So their values are probably different. You've got things like smartphones where zealous parents will be taking videos and, and releasing them to the media when their kids are getting beaten up and everybody's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is not what we want. So, you know, the context gets missing. And so teachers in Japan now are really, you know, the old ways of you're not allowed to drink in the dojo. You've got to do two hours of training in summer and you've got to grin and bear it. Otherwise, you want to get, get it, never get strong. All these kind of old myths about what 
was needed to uh, make you mentally and physically stronger are gradually sort of disappearing in Japan. And in that sense, I see a lot of similarities now coming out, not so much in the way that people are teaching still in Japan, although that is changing, but uh, the way in which kids really want to learn. Um, when I say kids, I'm talking about university levels, these are the ones I deal with. Um, there's a lot more similarities now between these younger generations, irrespective of the culture that they come from than there ever has been before. Have you noticed that, Blake? Yeah, it's you're absolutely right, mate. Like, there's a couple of things that you've brought up that that I'm just sort of sitting here nodding because um, based on you know my own experience in training in Japan, but also the research that I'm doing. So the first thing that, that pops this, this lines up almost perfectly with your research, right? Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, and, and interesting enough, it's not kendo specific research in, uh, on this particular topic. So. I can be a little bit more clear when I had the privilege of, of training in Japan doing my master's at the, uh, the university of, uh, Osaka university of health. Oh God, what was it? The university, Osaka university of health and sports science. Sports science. That's right. It was Osaka. Yeah. That's what we, uh, that's what did we you really to. get your master's there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for the diploma to come in the, in the, uh, in the mail. So maybe not. Um, but that, at, at that time, my, my thesis was about, uh, broadly speaking, the differences between uh, strict and harsh keiko, or ways of doing keiko, uh, versus, um, admittedly, Western definitions of violence and bullying and hazing. Um, and, you know, retros- in retrospect, it's probably better suited as a... As a um, a PhD thesis or, or more because it's such a massive, massive topic. But, you know, as Alex has, has said and, and observed uh, himself, like there's a transition happening in those old practices to new ways. And one of the things that, um, one of the examples that I can share uh, is in the summer gushku that, that we used to do or that the, that the students used to do and that I was a part of, uh, the sensei, I remember one day, sat us down at the start of the uh, of the gushko on the first morning and explained to us uh, the menu, what we were going to be doing for the next three days. Uh, and he was careful to point out when we were going to have drinks breaks, when we were going to have lunch, and when we were going to rest and all the rest of it. And I remember sort of looking around, and everybody was absolutely stunned that we <laughs> we were privy to this information. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly that there was that there was water breaks. Like, what's going on? Is Sensei getting soft? What's the story here? Um, but he he was he's a you know he was a really astute man. He realised and recognised that there's a huge uh, shift going on outside of the kendo bu, the kendo context, and in the other bukatsu, the other extracurricular sports clubs in the university uh, that are a little bit more early adopters of sports science and nutrition and psychology and those sorts of things. Uh, And just looking at that shift, that transition of those clubs, I think the sensei in in his role realized that uh, perhaps if we keep flogging this horse, we're going to, we're going to be at odds with what the expectations are of parents, of the wider faculty, the university. Uh, And as Alex pointed out, you're just going to kill someone straight up. I mean, yeah, the, the danger is always there, and it, and it always will be. I mean, we we don't 
this isn't a tickle fight, you know, like it, there's, there's, um, it's hard yakka and it's supposed to be right. Uh, but within that, you know, the coach has a responsibility whether, you know, whatever sport or art it might be, but, you know, your job is to facilitate learning, uh, with the people that you've got and in a safe environment. And, and while, you know, Alex, um, as my older brother brought his experiences back from his high school days and, uh, you know, replicated that as you would, you replicate that, that, that approach. And that was my kendo upbringing. And we had Masahiro Imafuji as part of it and that it all contributed. So within that, you know, it's easy to sort of, um, replicate those, those ideas. And I appreciate the, the, the importance of training really hard, one of the things that Alex and, and Hiro used to scream at me was nana koro biyaoki. And this is while they were forcing their knee into my temple as I was lying on. <laughs> so uh, so there's, uh, fall, fall down seven, get up eight, right? Correct. You, that's you, exactly right. You and so down, that, you know, get back up again. Exactly. And so that was the, that was the sort of the underpinning philosophy, I guess. I'm not speaking for Alex or Hiro, but that was, that was, those were the messages that I picked up. So while I advocate, you know, those are really important uh, ideas and philosophies to get across, the pedagogy, the, the way in which that's delivered, needs to evolve with the people that you're dealing with, right? And I think going back to the topic at hand, the, the fact that the sensei uh, in the Kindle world um, start to recognize that, it's, it is, as Alex said, it's a really recent thing, but it is a noticeable thing that's happening as well. If I, I can add this to be at the uh, at like the, the the school level. I remember I was reading an article years back on I think uh, Mike Scoss's uh, the Scoss's Kodu.com. It was an interview with a Kendo sensei, I think, and they were talking about some twenty-four uh, hour keiko that they did. Oh. Right. So just basically non twenty-four it was like twenty-four hour non-stop yeah. uh, keiko. And uh, and the guy was talking about you know at the end of it they, like he talked about it was sort of, for him it, he he put it as sort of a like this sort of transcendental experience like after a certain point of exhaustion like uh, you know he stopped thinking and he just lived in the moment and and all of that um, but then also noted that you know like he pissed blood for a week or something afterwards because because of the uh, the amount of of stress that his body had had undergone. Um, Anyway, and, and, and the tone of the article was, I think, interesting. I mean, it's, it's been a year since I've read it, but uh, from what I recall, it's sort of like a little bit like, this is bad. I don't think anyone should do this anymore nowadays. But at the same time, the guy seemed to be like a little bit wistful. Like this to me was such a formative experience in my, uh, in my kendo. And it really helped sort of shape me and, and gave me a sense of, 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 of who I am as a person. And what my kendo should be like. Yeah, well, that's pretty much why I um, got hooked on kendo for that same kind of transcendental experience, um, where I just got the crap beaten out of me so badly, but somehow, for some reason, I don't know, just keep getting up and keep doing it. And by the time it's finished, it's like, geez, what the hell just happened? Well, I mean, there, there's maybe parallels to be drawn with uh, an abusive relationship, right? Uh, well, <laughs> because you loves you, sort yeah. of. <laughs> yeah, that, that's why it's a very complicated. And that was sort of like what uh, Blake would did in his thesis at uh, when he was in Osaka, 
It's like, where is that line between, uh, when Japanese it was kitai, okay? Why sort of forging somebody or uh, basically um, bullying somebody, okay? Um, and from memory, Blake, I think you're, uh, one of your many conclusions was it's really about intent, isn't it? Yeah, it, 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 essentially it is. And, and the intent is a really big part of it when you start to sort of break the, the, um, the experience down. You go, yeah, well, I guess that makes sense. But a really important part that I found was also the perception, you know, the way in which the, uh, the receiver, the, the core high or the, you know, the person. The victim. The, victim, <laughs> yeah, the survivor is the correct terminology and, and um at the moment um, is, you know, it depends on how they perceive that, that, uh, that behavior, that action, that kek or, uh, or whatever that experience. And, you know, in the context where I was studying, which was the university, uh, you know, reasonably high level university kendo club, they had over, over the years built it up and it's reinforced with the, the old boys and the old girls that come back and the type of, uh, conversations and speeches that they give at the nomikai at, at parties and all that sort of stuff that we we survive this we thrive in this and therefore um, this is how we do it you know and it, and it's sort of that perception becomes ingrained and it becomes part of the thing and so it's very easy now in that context to push a little bit past today a past forging and really start to be blatantly, yeah, yeah o- over the top. And yet it, it continues. But, you know, um, without going into too much detail, because it's not really my place, but it, the wheels did come off from time to time, um, you know, where, where it was just too much and that person decided, hey, I, this is not for me anymore. You know what I mean? And So, so what's your guys' advice for, for, I guess, from both sides, um, for coaches or instructors on how to toe that line what they should be looking for or from a a student's perspective like where where and how do you say this is no longer forging this is this is bullying like thanks for the the, the student side (laughs) probably most people listening to this are going to be from from the student side like what's what should i as a student be looking out for uh, or yeah. or do if if I encounter that? Yeah, I think just going back a couple of conversations to, to, to pick out a certain comment that was made to really make this point. Alex said that the way in which <clears throat> students uh, approach their their kendo or their learning is that they need to know why. Why are we doing this? You know, what is the purpose of of you know, this kagarigek or, or this soji or, you know, why do I have to fold my hakama after every training or whatever it might be, right? So understanding uh, that the needs or the expectations that young learners have, whether they be Japanese or other, um, they're going to evolve. They're changing. And we as coaches or sensei or senpai, I think it's really important to break open and understand what those expectations are. And now that is a really, that's a real departure, I think, at least from my observations, on what that joge kanke, that hierarchical uh, relationship that we celebrate in the dojo, 
what that allows. You know, it's really hard. I, my observations for a first-year student at the university to question uh, or ask why of a fourth year, let alone an old boy or a centre, uh, unless it's unless they're plied with with booze. But you know, so you know that hierarchical structure that we celebrate both in Japan and outside of Japan in the dojo sometimes blocks our ability to communicate and say, hey, why are you here? What can I provide to you in your Kindle journey? How can I make this experience better for you? I mean, and- a lot of times, like, the, 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 the most torturous part is just extreme physical activity, right? Like, it, it's just, I mean, the, 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 the rationale is simple. We want to build your stamina. We want to build your... Uh- yes, but, yeah, 100%, you know, but does the student, does the student know that do they understand that and so that dialogue i think needs to be as we progress and as we understand that young learners or new you know 20 21st century learners have different expectations and different needs we have to be comfortable with having that transparency and that dialogue to say hey this is what i'm this is my philosophy or this is my approach this is why i'm doing this how do you feel about it? And I know that that sounds really new age and all the rest of it, but and it's a little bit scary for the old guard, as we were talking about before, to sort of have that transparency. But it would certainly be my approach, based on uh, the the research that I'm doing at the moment, uh, about you know the defensive, what we call the defensive pedagogies or the defensive way in which coaches are now reacting to this widest sort of societal. Uh, cotton wool model coddling of, of young people. Oh, it's all newfangled. Oh, it's rubbish. It's really important, regardless of what you think and what you went through, to say, hey, look, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. What do you think? You know, what do you need from me? Because it's a new relationship because it's evolving. And that, I think, is the first step to navigating uh, bringing in those old approaches or, or maintaining those old approaches with a new set of assumptions from new learners. Does that kind of make sense? Like it's about sort of opening up the conversation and, and providing that why, providing that rationale and understanding it from both sides of the shinai. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would um, add to that. Uh, the fact that kendo compared to, you know, when I was at high school and how it's changed so much in Japan now, or it's, uh, if, you, if you were to criticise it, you could say everybody's getting soft compared to, you know, in my day, we were, we were hard. There's very much a veteran mentality in, in kendo. That's uh, what the, the old guard has, and that's what the, the new guys inherit. Um, but, you know, we, 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 the level that I'm training at in Japan with university students, the, the students are obviously very high-level, uh, very skilled athletes. Um, they're, you know, basically Shiai machines. Their focus is, is very narrow, uh, they're doing kendo not because they want to be better human beings or anything like that. They're doing kendo because they want to go out there and win. Um, and that's fine. That's that's the level, that's what they need to focus on now so they can go to the next level and the next level and the next level after that. It's, it's, a, it's a process, right? You know, I'll be training with these, these kids every day. Some of the kids I'll give a real hard time to because um, I'll know the kid's slacking off. You know, and I'm over twice their age and I'm moving more than they are sort of thing. You know, there's something wrong. Okay. So I'll sort of rile them up a little bit. Um, I'll put a fire up their ass basically, you know, but I have to be very careful with that. And 
the reason I can do it is because I've had it done to me, okay? And I've had it done to me with love, okay? And so I am constantly looking at who it is that I'm fighting. And eventually what happens, if you, if you do kinder, you know this, you'll be fighting some sense and before you know it, for some reason, suddenly you just, you, you've completely lost control and you just give in and you end up just going crazy and trying to do karate geko until a sensei says stop. It, you, you don't know why, it just happens. You know, and that's because the other person, the, the sensei has been controlling you and sort of pushing you and then frustrating you. And in the end, you just, there's nothing you can do and you just, you go berserk. That's how it works, right? And, and so the same, I'm in a position now, I get that done to me by some of these old senseis and I've had it done to me right from the start. And now I'm in a position through my experience and my level or skill level of kendo where, it, where I'm able to uh, assert that kind of control on the students that I'm fighting. And like I said, some of them who are clearly slacking off, they have objectives. If they want to meet those objectives, whatever they are, every kid's going to be different, but especially the, uh, the team members, then it requires a little bit more uh, determination perhaps or a little bit more uh, um, letting go at certain times, a little bit more confidence in themselves or whatever. So I'll be looking at all of these things as, I, as I'm fighting them. And then it's, it just happens naturally most of the time. Sometimes it gets really heated. And then sometimes you just go nuts and they go nuts and blah, 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 blah. But you've got to know when to stop. How do you, so how do you know when to stop though? Like what, what, what are some of the signs that you look at? Um, there's no one thing, of course, but you, what, what do you look at? You look at seriously, and that, this is really hard because you are doing it too. Thing is, it's for, 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 from an outside perspective, it looks like some person's just bullying another kid, but I can tell you that I'm working just as hard as, as the person who's doing the attacking. It's like Sakudo sensei said to us once, Blake, remember, it's like, as motodachi, your role is to uh, basically be cut to pieces for the benefit of the kakarite, okay? You're going to take it all, and you give it back. You give as good as you get, and vice versa. It's, it's, it is a two-way thing, even though it doesn't look like it. Um, how do I know? It's a feeling, and it's a feeling that it's not very scientific, actually, but it's a feeling because I've been through it. There are certain students that I would never do it to, or I would never engage in that relationship with, because I don't think that we're on the same wavelength. Okay, but there are certain students that I would, and that's because we have a connection already, and we understand each other, and we know that's what's going to happen, and we're prepared to uh, sacrifice ourselves for that for that moment. So part of that superior powers of discernment, I guess they're looking for uh, in in Reishi Kyoshi. You've got it's got to be based on trust, and there will be students who won't want to do that, and I'm not going to make them do it. In the old days, you would, okay, but now you pick yeah. and choose. And yeah. not only that, um, but I always, you know, um, finish with a. Nice hug and good on you, man. That was bloody awesome. 
and really make them feel proud of themselves. In the old days, you'd never do that. It's like, what yeah, the hell? It may be a nod, like a, a grim nod. And that'd be like the equivalent of a, of a war grumble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or a grumble. So my point is that, you know, I would still do it because I think that kind of intensity is really important. Okay, if you, depending on what it is that you want to achieve in your kendo. Um, you know, it's, it's really important, but you really, really have to be so careful because in, in the thick of it all, anything can happen. Emotions, let, you let go of your emotions and then suddenly if you, you lose control, then, you know, hell can break loose and it can be really dangerous. And so I'm always really afraid of it. But having said yeah, Blake. Oh, no, sorry, Alex, you, you continue, man. No, go for it, man. Oh, I was just going to um, draw on something that you said there. I think that ties the two, the two ideas, the one that I presented before and, and what you've talked about. You said trust, and, I, and the tip of my tongue was relationship. And, you know, Alex's suggestion that with certain people in the, in the dojo, there's an expectation or there's a, there's an understanding, Hey, this, this is going to get, um, this is going to get physical, but we, we're on the same page and that's based on relationship. That's based on trust. Right. Um, and there's those that you just don't, because it's probably better for everybody concerned if you just sort of leave and go, okay, mate, that's cool. We'll, um, you know, have a good day. Good luck in your classes. Who you later? Yeah. Um, <laughs> But, you know, as it, as it relates to a community club, uh, like outside of Japan, where we don't necessarily have that, um, uh, you know, certain expectations at certain year groups and that sort of stuff, by and large, what we can achieve outside of that hierarchical context is that relationship. And going back to my point before about having those conversations, why is this important? Why are we doing this? You know, what, what sort of things do I want to see from you next time or after doing that kakari geko, what did you feel about yourself? You know, you know the, the pride and of, of achieving that and everybody in the club giving you a round of applause because, you know, sensei really gave it to you today sort of thing. But that rapport, that relationship that you develop is, is you know, a really, really key part of that, uh, of that question. And, and, you know, you, I understand we're sort of looking for tangible, quantifiable signs to stop you moment but I think rather than looking for that just at the moment where do we start we start with developing that relationship with teaching or coaching or being a senpai to people you know there's a person in front of us right and they have their, their, their feelings and emotions and we want them to feel that the nasty <laughs> outwardly nasty physical uh kakarigeko session is something that's going to contribute to their development, whether it be their technical development or their spiritual or their mental, or however you want to, uh, you know, frame it up. It depends. It really relies, I think, as Alec was saying, on that trust that you build with them. How do you build that trust? Talk to them. Understand what this, the purpose of this exchange is, right? And then we can start to read the cues. Uh, there's a there's a sign there. There's a tear forming, or the smile's gone. You know, I can see the twinkle in their eye isn't quite there. I need to wrap this up and give them a good pat on the back. Well done. Good on you, you know. Uh, and I, I think that's a really important thing that we miss if we don't, if we don't embrace this, this changing, this evolution. If we stick with the I'm the sensei and I know best, do as I say, it's just outdated, antiquated, and, and it's going to lead, uh, at best, it'll lead to people 
resenting the trainings and not coming. And we really need to build that rapport, I think, because we can't fall back on the hierarchy as much, perhaps, as a university club or, or otherwise, right? Okay. I mean, uh, thank you, guys. Uh, we are just about out of time, but uh, this has been a really interesting conversation. I think there's a lot more we could we could dig down into, uh, and maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do so at some other date. But I want to thank you both for, for your time and, uh, and for, for contributing, as always. Thanks, Thanks Blake. It's good to see you again.